0: Inside Chicago
1: Government. Welcome to another in a series of interviews with Ben Jarofsky. I'm Dave Glowatz. Ben Jarofsky writes on government and politics for the Chicago Reader, and he's here with me today just after... The birthday of the city of Chicago. Did you celebrate that?
0: Yes, I was. I'm a little hungover from the <laughs> that was like rivalry. four days ago. Oh, it It was a four day celebration.
1: It is 176 years old. Somehow, or so. other,
0: this entire news eluded me. Really? I must have missed the article in the Tribune. That's kind of. You probably read that in the Tribune, correct? That's kind no, of the, the Tribune. It's every covered. March fourth. Oh.
1: which is also known as International Hiking Day.
0: <laughs> okay, did not know that either. March fourth. then. God. Dang, God, I missed that.
1: So, city of Chicago, not as mature as some, but old enough to know better,
0: wouldn't yes. you say? Yes. Italy's older.
1: Today, we're talking about an article, though, not the city's birthday. Your article that appeared in the reader on March 7, 2013, and mm. it's called Waiting for the Day of Judgment from Mayor Emanuel. Yes. In this article, you write about another in a series of community meetings— held by the Chicago Public Schools Administration. That's correct. Ostensibly to get community input. (laughs) (laughs) Ostensibly. (laughs) On its list of potential school closing.
0: Let's switch things. So you don't think the purpose of that meeting was to get community input? I I
1: don't know if it achieved it, but...
0: uh, (laughs) Well, they did get community input.
1: Put it this way. Community input was generated, whether it was received is another matter. In other
0: words, whether they're paying attention to it. Right,
1: right. We've got some inside dope on that one, don't we? Yeah. And this meeting was on... (laughs) February 28th in Logan Square.
0: You happen to attend the meeting as well. I happened to. We were there in tandem.
1: We have alibis for each other in (laughs) case those are needed. Yeah. And in your article, you talk about how the Emanuel administration has handled the closing of schools, Mm -hmm. in addition to talking about the meeting itself. You identified in your article three public schools in the Cabrini-Green area that CPS closed namely Byrd, Schiller, and Sojourner Truth.
0: That is correct, sir.
1: Just after that, you conclude, quote, as a Chicago housing authority gets out of the business of housing the poor, it's only a matter of time before CPS gets out of the business of educating their children, end quote. Right. Given that the closing of the Cabrini-Bring housing complex... Cause a departure of its children. Yeah. Doesn't it seem logical and inevitable that some of the schools that they attended would close? I mean, it was a significant removal of a concentrated population of sure.
0: kids. Absolutely. And some would say that the first thing you do is turn down the projects, and remove the people, and then the schools are next in line. It's logical, it's inevitable. You can't really complain. There's nobody there anymore. And then you effectively have severed all ties to the community that the former residents had, and then you have a vacant community, which you're free to fill up however you want. A fait accompli. Yeah. I've been hearing this tale told going back to the 80s, late 80s, and there was a talk in terms of gentrification issues and changing neighborhoods, and uh, then it accelerated, of course, in the 90s when the city unveiled its, what it was called Plan for Transformation. So it's just inevitable. Now, if you really wanted to be proactive Widely different than where we are, you take the opportunity of falling enrollment to try to offer more for the students who are there. But of course, we're not doing that.
1: Do you have some vacant classrooms, perhaps, smaller class size? Yes,
0: smaller class size, more art, more music, more theater, more sports. You could do amazing things if you chose to do it, but that's not the model that uh, Mayor Emanuel is following. Mayor Emanuel is consolidating schools, so instead of lowering class size, he's keeping class size high. He's trying to cut the budget, so instead of investing more money into schools by expanding the curriculum, he wants to spend relatively less. Um, he's not even expanding the curriculum. We've talked about this in the past, this heavy emphasis on testing as opposed to like expanding art So I feel as though we're heading in the wrong direction. Instead of using the falling enrollment as an opportunity, we're using it as an excuse to continue the process.
1: Well, some would say it is an opportunity for the revenue to come from elsewhere instead of the city say, 98 mil from the state of Illinois
0: or 60 mil from the Gates Foundation. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. There's another movement, which we've talked about many times. That's the charter private school movement, which is effectively a movement against the Chicago Teachers Union. I try not to be completely paranoid and cynical about what I see happening in front of me.
1: How's that working for you? (laughs) Not
0: really working, Dave. (laughs) i tell you what. Some days are stronger than others. You know, and it's an interesting development that I just saw. I just saw an internet article about this, so I really haven't thought this through. It's just other than the irony of it. There was an article that just appeared. This is breaking news. On the Sun Times website, that uh, UNO, which is the, one of the largest charter school operations in the city,
1: and the recipient of the aforementioned ninety-eight, 98 million, million from the state at, that I talked about,
0: and trying to get another thirty-five million as we speak. How's that working? Yeah, for that's they acknowledged in this story that they'd be willing to uh, unionize their teaching force. That is hot news. Yeah, that's hot news. Hot breaking news. Which I just try to smile at. It just how far the mighty have fallen. Except
1: the hitch is that Bruce Rouner is organizing
0: union. Yeah, it's, And Bruce Rauner now running for governor of the state of Illinois got help us all.
1: Not bribable. Yes.
0: I haven't really had a chance to investigate that, but I just saw that and smiled a little bit because obviously they want to cut some kind of deal with the union to get the union off their back.
1: They've got a couple things on their back. Yeah, right they now. have a
0: couple things on their back. And they, by the way, they would not be affiliated with the Chicago Teachers Union. But all these things are happening, this anti-union movement, this lack of investment in public education, this retreat, uh, saving money, these wild claims of saving money, these Empty promises of using the savings to bring back more education. It seems as though those predictions that people gave me back in the late 80s and the 90s are coming true.
1: You know some soothsayers. Yeah, some soothsayers. I can't even say soothsayers. Yeah, no, that's hard. Just digging a little more into your conclusion about the sort of unspoken policy of CPS not to educate the poor. The Sun-Times also reported this week its analysis that about 90% of students in the schools on CPS's list of the 129 that are candidates to be closed— are black. Mm-hmm. Does this necessarily mean, as you speculate, that CPS is forgetting poor students?
0: I took a look at sort of like one community, and what they did in that article was take a look at the entire city. So we're basically reporting the same phenomenon, that as black neighborhoods lose their population through tearing down high-rises, through gentrification, through people just moving out of Chicago. The schools lose their population, and so CPS is free to close them or feels like, well, we should close them. So it's the same basic situation, and we talked about this earlier with schools on the near west side and the near south side when I took a look at those schools' decisions in the second ward Remember that discussion about a month or two ago? I do. It's essentially the city has changed dramatically, uh, demographically, in terms of population shifting out. And now, educationally, we're responding. But what I'm pointing out is that we're not responding in a way that will help educate poor kids. So please, let's not fool ourselves into thinking this is about educating poor kids. And I've now come to this conclusion, as cynical and as horrible as it sounds, is that it's never been about educating poor kids. It's always these other political decisions. I will say this, you know, rethinking everything, constantly changing my mind, I was chatting with some of the people at that meeting that we both attended about the striking difference between the rhetoric coming out of Mayor Emanuel's administration with schools and that coming out of Mayor Daley's administration in the mid-90s when Ballas and Chico moved over there, where the city was talking about investing money in schools, fixing schools up, building new schools, adding after-school programs. Now, it's pretty obvious that a lot of the money they spent was money that should have been going to the teacher pension fund. Oops. (laughs) Yeah, Oops. But it's a different rhetoric, and it was a different sense of expectation.
1: It spoke of an agenda, at least.
0: Yeah, it spoke of a wider, ambitious agenda about using public education to improve opportunities for kids. I disagreed with a lot of the things they did, but I have to admit, it was a more optimistic time. I just saw there was a quote in the paper um, from my old friend Becky Carroll, who's the chief spokesman for uh, the Board of Education where she said that a good teacher can handle 40 kids in a classroom. and
1: I got my pen out and underlined and wrote multiple question marks next yeah, to it.
0: Yeah, that was just, I don't even know what to say. That's just a crime. It underscores the basic point that um, this is not about providing educational opportunities for children who need it the most. This is about ending education as we have it in Chicago, switching money, diverting money from education to other pots, and basically essentially waiting, I guess, till neighborhoods completely bottom out to figure out what comes next. Like I said, you know, I kind of hate to be pessimistic, but it is a very pessimistic time uh, in Chicago. I was talking to a lot of the people at that meeting um, that we both attended, and we, we were trying to figure out, was there a more pessimistic time in Chicago education? And I, I guess the 1980s, when, of course, the city as a whole was really struggling you know, with the uh, economic recession and the, the loss of heavy industry. That's when I first moved to town. That was before the real estate boom in the 90s. So that was a very tough time as well. We had so many strikes. Reagan administration. The Reagan administration.
1: Speaking of people talking at the meeting, let's talk a little bit about the city council. <laughs> at the Logan Square meeting, 27th Ward Alderman Walter Burnett, spoke for about 20 minutes, I think longer than any other one That's speaker. Yeah. Let's listen to some of what he said.
0: I think what you all are doing here dealing with the population is not right and it's unfair. And you need to reconsider that because you're going to put us elected officials at the point where we say, No, I'm not going to allow no more charter schools to be open because you're going to close down my other schools. So I just want to say to the Board of Education, if you want to continue to get my support on things that you all want to happen with the Board of Education, you're going to have to keep these schools open. Thank you very much.
1: Burnett talks as if he and or the rest of the city council have significant sway with either the Board of Education, none of whose members were at the meeting in Logan Square, Or with the CPS administration, what sway does he or the other council members have realistically? Uh, Point of fact, the Education Committee does include Alderman Burnett, but I haven't seen in recent months any significant action on their part. The last time they met was in November, and they're doing stuff like issuing resolutions about gangsta-style clothing among students and approving... City College board members. So was Burnett being, uh, I don't know what to call it, a paper tiger? He's not even on paper that it have any statutorial influence on the Board of Education.
0: Well, first of all, I was really encouraged by his comments. Anytime any alderman speaks out, it's always an encouraging sign. Now, having said that, I've noticed that <laughs> aldermen are taking not just Alderman Burnett, who I think is more sincere than most because he actually comes from the Green community, he went to Jenner School.
1: Which he talked about extensively. Yes.
0: But aldermen in general are taking this opportunity to stand up for their people, knowing full well that they, as you point out, will not be the ones voting on the school closings. So there really are no consequences to standing up for their people as opposed to, let's say, voting against the TIF deal in the city council or voting against a billboard, digital billboard privatization deal in the city council or voting against the infrastructure trust in the city council or voting against NATO in the city council. So they can't
1: be held accountable. So it's it's a no-lose situation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The only winners in the school closing mess are the aldermen who finally have an opportunity to look tough. Now, would Alderman Burnett, if he wanted to, he could really cause problems for Mayor Emanuel if he were to join forces with the other handful of independent aldermen in the council who are pushing for things like citywide referendum on an elected school board which was a movement that was buried in the Rules Committee. Well, no, it wasn't buried in the Rules Committee. It was buried in Joe Moore's Committee, excuse me. It was
1: nullified by Moore.
0: Yes, or the movement to put a moratorium on new charter schools, which was buried in the Rules Committee. They could testify at the uh, Board of Education hearings regarding how the board spends its money. So he could be activist. He could be an activist, and he could draw attention to this issue. And use the bully pulpit. So they're not as helpless as, you know, we were sort of suggesting just because they don't vote on school closings. I think that in general, the aldermen of the Chicago uh, City Council, when it comes to the schools, have either ignored what's been happening or have stood by the mayor. In the most obvious cases where they joined forces to sign that letter calling on the teachers not to strike, where they got involved, they were on the side of the mayor undercutting the union. And then they pretend, well, we're only doing this because we love kids so much. We want them in school.
1: That sounds familiar.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Always four kids in Chicago. I went up to Alderman Burnett during the meeting and I said, come join us. You know, uh, I love what you had to say today and keep saying more of it.
1: How did he react?
0: He smiled at me and patted me on the back. I really like Alderman Burnett a lot. So I don't know. There's certain Alderman that I really like on a personal level and you know even joe moore you know i remember i took all that criticism because i wouldn't blast joe moore some in this room (laughs) yeah some in this room you were too easy on joe i like joe moore you know so anyway what was it ralph Metcalf. I'm always looking for aldermen to have or politicians to have the Ralph Metcalf moment. And he was the congressman who was a loyal machine member for most of his political career. And then in the 70s, he revolted from the party on the issue of police brutality. And Mayor Daley, the original Mayor Daley, ran someone against him and um, Metcalf won, which underscores the point that the people of the city of Chicago like politicians who stand up to bosses they will reward politicians who do that
1: given that they'll elect people like emmanuel and Daly, and when you ask them why because they want a strong person in office so that bolsters your point
0: absolutely they want they like the strong person chicago that's part of the chicago mentality that i've slowly come to understand over my years living in this town i was not blessed to have been born and raised here so it's something i've had to learn That Chicago mentality like strong, powerful politicians, but that also means they like strong, powerful politicians who will stand up to them. I can't think of an instance, correct me if you can think of one, where an alderman was ousted from office because he or she was too independent.
1: I'll from office because being under indictment. But well, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's, something that's independence else. in a different, different way. way. Right? Yeah,
0: independence of the law. <laughs> I'm thinking of in the 90s, all the times that Mayor Daley tried to oust Helen Schiller. Maybe. He bring in his operatives and she won those elections they were close elections but she won
1: and she arguably might still be in office if she hadn't retired
0: oh, nikki agrees so anyway i welcome alderman burnett to the fold he's
1: noncommittal though
0: i welcome to the fold but i don't believe he's fully uh that's it yeah. you never know
1: well we'll find out in the future i'm sure ben thanks for joining me today thank you sir listeners have we screwed up Are there things you'd like to hear us address? Let us know via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Inside Chicago Government. And you can email us via contact at shygov.com. On your web, at shygov.com. Subscribe to one of our printer audio feeds. I'm Dave Glowatz. Thanks for listening.